welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about the vampire capital of America, so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Violets Are Blue by James Patterson. Joining us to discuss this Alex Cross genre-confusing thriller is fangmaker and author of the thriller parody novel The Daddy Complex, Ryan Sandoval. Hi, Ryan. Hello, Kate. Hello, Renata. Thank you for having me. Hi, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. When Ryan approached us to be on this episode and suggested James Patterson, we sort of picked this book out of a list because, like, oh, vampires, that's kind of our brand. But as it turns out, there were many things in this book that fit our brand pretty well. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, also, this <laughs> this is the seventh book in the Alice, Alex Cross series. I have previously read none of them. Although I got a little confused and then read the Wikipedia entry about Alex Cross, which is very long. (laughs) He has done a lot of things. (laughs) The girlfriend section alone is like longer than some books we've read for this podcast. By the way, by the way, I don't know if you read the whole Wikipedia thing or not. Into our notes, I only pasted like the first paragraph of Love Interest, like, up through Violets Are Blue, but it goes on for, like, another full page because there's, like, 20 more books after this one where so many more girlfriends die. (laughs) (laughs) And I wonder... So none of these these girlfriends, like, look up Alex Cross and look up, like, his string of dead lovers and are just like, eh, maybe this guy's not (laughs) worth my time because I might die. And the, like, ladies, Google your men and just see how many <laughs> see how many obituaries they appear in. Yeah, <laughs> because uh, you know he might have several serial killers toying with him. He might be in a cat and mouse game, and you don't know. You you're on a first date. He's in a cat and mouse game, and you don't know it. And you are part of. You might be the cheese in oh. that cat and mouse game. <laughs> so often. By the way, I said ladies, Google your men. Uh, you know, any any person on the gender spectrum who is interested in dating Alex Cross should Google him. Just <laughs> but so far, it's only been women spe- that he has dated. <laughs> um, okay, so... So, yeah, we we picked this book because the summary said that Alex Cross was going to be hunting down some vampire killers... Or kill, killer, not killer, not people who kill vampires. He's not hunting Van Helsing. He is trying to track down serial killers who kill in the style of vampires. <laughs> and that also maybe believe that they are vampires. And for like... It's all for very like, confusing. And this has another hallmark of worst bestsellers books, which is it changes POVs all the time. And so we're getting a lot of the POV of the air quote vampires. And they seem to really think that they're vampires. So for a while, I was like, oh, are are they vampires? Like, is this a supernatural novel? Spoiler, it is not. They are not vampires. Especially because, and we'll go into this a little bit more when we um, summarize the plot, but it takes them way too long to decide that this is a vampire, either vampires or a vampire-like cult. Several dead bodies with bite marks that are missing all of their blood show up and they're like, God, what could it be? What could be driving these killers to this? 
And then once they figure out, like, oh, vampires or vampire cult, they seem to be real confused about whether, you know, because there's the role-playing vampires, and then there's the goth kids, but then there's the real vampires, quote-unquote. And it was very hard to differentiate whether all of the cops actually believed that the real vampires were real vampires, or if they were just calling them real vampires because they thought of themselves as real vampires, or what. Yeah, and so the validity of, like, the at the top of this hierarchy of possible vampires, where at the top of it is, like, a vampire, and at the bottom of it is just, like, some scrubby kid living in a farmhouse, um, biting people, it affects, <laughs> like, it affects how authentic, how authentic that top vampire is, affects the, every descending title of that hierarchy, it's like, if the most vampire character in this book about going into the vampire underworld still isn't a vampire, then I think it makes the guy at the bottom of that hierarchy uh, not very scary, just a dude or just, uh, just a human who bites. Yes, and uh, this comes later in the book, but I want to address it now <laughs> because it's another tie-in to previous worst bestsellers books and to my own personal life. Which, if you remember from that Amish Lurleen McDaniels romance slash illness novel we read, where yes. the little Amish girl <laughs> had a staph infection in her spider bite, and I found that very relatable because at the time I had just <laughs> recovered from my own staph-infected spider bite. And I'm here to tell you that Alex Cross gets a staph infection in a human bite. <laughs> And he's really sick from it. He's like, oh, it really hurts. I'm like, I feel you. Like, it does. It's terrible. (laughs) Contributing to the do they think vampires are real or not, after he gets bitten by the schlubby farmhouse kid who thinks he's a vampire and starts getting this staph infection, he (laughs) keeps flashing back to the kid being like, you're one of us now. And so, like, he's got, like, these weird sickness symptoms, and he keeps thinking about that. So the readers are like, what the fuck? Is he really a vampire? What is going on here? Yeah, so he's, like, unreliable that way. But also, I don't know if you two had this experience, but right after he... I'm not a germaphobe either, but right after he got bit, I was like, hey, man, come on, like, wash that down. You know, pour some rubbing alcohol on that. Do anything. Please clean that wound. That's why you're you're going to get sick if you do not clean that wound. And he doesn't do anything to clean it. He doesn't go to the emergency room right away, I think. No, he doesn't. He He does nothing because he's, like, too tough and manly. And he's like, I'm just going to shake this off because there's still more detective work to do. He does not go to the emergency room until he has a 103-degree fever. And which, you know, I I didn't go in to get treatment on my spider bite for a few days either. But I was like... Oh, it's just a spider bite. They're just like this. It's just bad. He got bit by a human, and I feel like that's a whole different <laughs> thing, and you definitely should get medical treatment, like, right away. Yeah, like, show of hands, if you got bit by a human, would you clean the wound or not? I'm raising my <laughs> hand right now. Wait, well, I forgot to... will do a Twitter poll on this, <laughs> and uh, everyone who votes no, I'm just going to tell you right like, you're gross right away. <laughs> Yeah, or you might be a vampire or something. And it's, like, not even, like, he, like, he's pretty lackadaisical with his invest, like, this is, like, a lifestyle book sometimes, you know? It's not, like, he's racing against the clock to solve a murder. Sometimes he'll, 
he'll just kind of hang out, go on like a family outing. He'll go on some dates. So there wasn't a good reason why he wasn't cleaning the wound. He had the time to do it. Sorry, that really bothered me. No, it bothered me as well. <laughs> and then I did feel like, again, I, I was, I felt like relatable. I felt like it was relatable, but I also felt vindicated because I was like, yeah, you didn't clean it. And now you're real sick. Well, I, now you sound like. Yeah, I'm, I'm victim like, blaming him <laughs> for, his, well, like, for his staff infection. <laughs> yeah. You sound like Ma. Is what's his grandma's name? Oh, Mama Nana, Nana Mama or Mama Nana. Nana. Mama. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like some good home, <laughs> down home wisdom. That's right, finger wagon wisdom. So vaguely related. Oh. oh, well, I was just gonna say also related to his schedule being kind of lackadaisical. He is in this book a DC detective yeah if you're not at all familiar with alex cross he's a detective he works for the dc police but he has a degree as a psychologist and Mm -hmm. he had wanted to provide mental health care for people in his neighborhood but none of them could afford to pay for it so he decided to become a police officer but because he's such a good police officer the fbi is always calling him up like Hey, Alex, come work with us. Hey, we need your help on this case. Hey, you should really become an FBI agent, but he won't because he wants to protect his neighborhood. But he mm. he leaves his neighborhood for like weeks at a time to go hunt vampires. Yeah, I don't believe that he cares about his neighborhood. I think that's just, he's just uh, fronting, I believe. I think um, he likes the ego boost of like the FBI constantly asking for him. Yeah, he likes to be chased. I think. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll join the FBI. I don't know. So maybe. What was I going to say? So one uh, of the shit. interesting things about the books that I hadn't realized before I started reading it, which is a little bit more, I mean, turning away from the things about this book that are ridiculous and edging into the things that are slightly surprisingly less ridiculous, believe it or not. Um, prior to, I had never read an Alex Cross book prior to this, and I, like, vaguely knew in the Kiss the Girls movie that Morgan Freeman played Alex Cross, but, like, Morgan Freeman is one of those actors who occasionally, you know, gets to play the crusty old white guy because he's Morgan Freeman and they're quote-unquote progressive and whatever. Uh, he has also been played by Tyler Perry, for the record. Which I didn't... did not know at the time but so I I was not aware that Alex Cross was black before reading the book and once I realized it a few pages in I got very nervous that it was going to be either one of those things where it's like oh yes like Alex is black but really we're not going to give you any cultural backup for that or any characterization or everything was going to be an awful racist stereotype and it actually past that very low bar and was neither of those things there was actual like backup in his characterization and background that did support him being black and having that sort of cultural upbringing um it was not necessarily a totally racist caricature there's a couple times where it's very heavy-handed but i it was it was very interesting to be reading this book by this crusty old white guy about a crusty old black guy and not have it feel like one of those other two things. So whoever the ghostwriter is for this, you know, props. Maybe they're black. 
Um, I mean, it is a low bar. It's not very, it's not, like, very racist, but it does have another, like, thing that happens a lot in these worst bestsellers, which is you feel like Alex, or, uh, James Patterson, like, Googled black music and then just, like, copy-pasted a lot of things from Wikipedia. (laughs) And, like, my favorite of these is, I think my favorite, one of my favorites anyway, is he's in the car with his kids and he's listening to Sade with his kids, which, first of all, okay, his kids are, like, eight and ten. But then he calls her Helen full of Sade adieu. And then, like, something, like, more commonly known as Sade. I'm like, more com- like, who knows Sade's full name? Like, only only Wikipedia knows that. <laughs> anyway, so, so he gives Sade's full name because that's how, that's how you know it's Sade. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you have to wonder if at that point, like, if James Patterson did write this book, and I do, I like that you cast doubt upon whether or not he actually wrote this book oh, or he just for like sure did not. you know did a he once over sure the ghost ready <laughs> the ghost ready draft <laughs> he writes but, like a hundred books a year there's no way that he writes all of them and he has started like more and more on the cover now it says like james patterson with and then you know yeah. it was, like really the with i think the alex cross ones just only say james patterson but i i bet there's a with yeah I was so surprised at, uh, I mean, I'm not, you know, I study English in college and I, you know, I, I try to write funny things. So I don't consider myself like a, like an academic-y kind of, kind of voice or anything like that. But I was still very like, I was surprised and sort of embarrassed for James Patterson. Sorry, shots fired, James Patterson. Book shots fired, James Patterson. Ooh, good one. (laughs) (laughs) But, But like, I... I was so surprised at how copy and pasty it felt. Like we, we were talking about the uh, you know Wikipedia entries and stuff like that. But uh, there were some like uh, this is more of just an overall reaction, I guess. But uh, uh, there were times where I had to close the book and be like, I mean, that's technically a sentence you wrote, but I don't know if it's a very creative sentence. It's an informational sentence. Sorry, guys. I'm going for James Patterson after this and. Coming after the guy. Coming for him. Yeah, and same with, like, the description of all the extreme sports. <laughs> um, Those actually felt less like Wikipedia copy and paste and more like transcribing a Disney Channel movie. <laughs> um, so, are you, as, as if you're thinking of a specific Disney Channel movie. Because oh. there's one called... Johnny Tsunami? Is that uh-huh, one? Johnny Tsunami. Um, <laughs> Brink, the extreme skating one. Uh, there's probably one where they do rock climbing. I don't know. But just, you know, any of those Disney Channel movies where the kids are really into an extreme sport. Yeah. And you know what? This was around that time, too, because this was like 2000. I think it came out 2001. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like extreme sports and vampirism were... <laughs> no, they were in the limelight. They were a thing. Totally. And I think he just took a one look at the youth and were like, what are youth up to these days? Well, extreme sports and vampires and rap music. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> and listening to Helen full of Sade adieu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, uh, let's go 
into the actual plot of this book, a, a little snapshot for you so you understand what extreme sports, vampirism, and the rap music have in common. This book has like uh. seven plots, by the way, and uh, I don't have a good handle on any of them. So I'll let you, I'll let you explain it, Kate. Sure. So <laughs> let's, uh, we're going to break it down. We'll explain the vampire plot and then we'll explain the overarching Alex Cross series plot. So the vampire plot is essentially these people are being murdered by having all of their blood drained and being stabbed and bitten. There are a couple murders on the West Coast that are similar to murders that Alex and his FBI buddy, Kyle Craig, buddy in quotation marks, and you'll understand why later, uh, have dealt with before. So they send Alex Cross out to San Francisco to investigate the murders. Uh, while he's there, he meets Jamila Hughes, who is a detective in San Francisco handling the case. And they immediately hit it off because every woman is in love with Alex Cross because he's just so whatever. Also, Alex Cross is, in, if not in love, able to appreciate the physical attributes of every woman. Uh, every woman that he meets, and, and again, this is a thing that happens a lot in books, especially written by men, but it's like, Jamila Hughes was, like, a, a deadly detective, but also she was in good shape and, like, she kept it tight and her hair looked like this. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so every woman is described like that. Even women who are just in for, like, one second to give a witness statement. We know exactly what they look like and what Alex Cross thinks of them sexually. So he meets up with Jamila and they investigate these crimes and they're both super weirded out by these crimes to a degree. Maybe I'm callous because I watch a lot of crime shows. I know that comes up a lot on the podcast. Crime shows raised me. I can eat dinner while watching Criminal Minds, which apparently many people can't do. But, like, they're reacting to these murders of people who have been drained of all their blood and stabbed a few times as if they have never seen something so horrible in their lives that it is the worst possible imaginable crime for them. And I'm like... Hey, what crime is worse? I mean, like, I, I can think, just from watching crime shows, of much more horrible, disgusting murders and things that could be done to dead bodies. Yeah. There's not even a sexual component to half of these murders. I was going like, to say, after I said this, I realized that uh, Alex Cross, in a previous book, I guess one of his previous girlfriends was, like, raped to death with a knife. So I guess that's yeah. worse. Yeah, and he's seen like, he's taken on a bunch of serial killers. Like, isn't Kiss the Girls, I think I was reading a summary where... He's having, like, body parts sent to him or something. Like, the man has seen some shit, and he, he needs to get over it, man. This is another murder that needs to be solved. Like, I'm not saying that it's, like, calming, but seeing <laughs> a, a pretty straightforwardly murdered and drained of blood body, like, the way they're reacting, seemed very strange to me. No, I hear Especially you, Okay, I want you. I want you to do a, a blog post of the top ten worst ways to be murdered. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll, yeah. Also, while you're doing that blog post, will you do top ten most therapeutic murders to solve? Call me murders. You got some homework. You got some homework. <laughs> And I'll do top 10 extreme sports that I can't believe there's not Disney Channel movies about. 
<laughs> Number one, parkour. <laughs> so anyway, um, they're investigating these murders, and they're so shaken to their core by them. And um, like Ryan was saying before, like, there are parts of the book where they're like, yeah, like, we're investigating these murders. We're not sleeping. We're getting on planes. We're going to another city to investigate their murders. We're exhuming the bodies. And then they're just kind of like, well, there's no new evidence, so I'll fly back to D.C. and hang out with my kids for two weeks. And it's it's very choppy, like, broken up by these really intense, on the trail of the killers, and then long stretches where nothing is happening. Also, the book uh-huh. itself is divided into five parts which did not and they all have a different name like what is like southern murder nights or something like part two yeah and like but they aren't clearly divided to me like it's not like like the vampire thing keeps anyway whatever they're in five parts but not like in a real clear-cut way to me yeah like the last part is violets are blue and it's not really like aha now he can make the connection between violets and the color blue, and that's what this part's <laughs> going to be about. It's just like, no, it's a book title. Yeah, it was, like many things about this book, it was not necessarily well thought out. It felt like someone was just checking a box. Like, yes, putting them in parts. Done. But so so they're investigating these crimes. Meanwhile, we're getting point of view, uh, point of view chapters from the actual killers, who are these two teenage boys... They're, were they 16 and 19 or something like that? I think one of them was just an adult, like either 18 or 19. Well, it's hard to say because it keeps flashing back to their childhood, which, by the way, they were, they were raised in like a hippie, free love, incestuous cult where, like, because they were so into free love and just, like, sex is good, so, of course, they have sex with each other and they had sex with their parents, and, like, is that's not a, that's not a cult thing. Like, did James Patterson make this up? Was he just like, yeah, that seems like what hippies do. Like, what? I mean, as a person who watches a lot of crime shows, I wouldn't be surprised if a cult like that existed. I've certainly, like, that is not something I associate with the hippie free love movement. Yeah. I could, yeah, I could stretch my mind into believing in the world of fiction. That sort of thing could exist, like, by, you know, putting in a brew of, like, the Manson family plus, like, the, you know, FL, the fundamental Latter-day Saints, you know, um, like, polygamists, you know, who, like, I could, it makes sense to me under the umbrella of what James Patterson's about, like, but it doesn't seem very, like, really nuanced, like, because later on he has his serial killer, like, express his philosophy where he's like, it was so simple, why couldn't they see it? Love equaled hate. And it's like, that makes zero sense, but that's really messed up, and you gotta stop this bad guy. So, yeah, I think he's just basically like, hey, wouldn't this be messed up? Guess who's gonna fix it? Alex Cross. Yeah, and it's like, the weird part, too, is that it's like a footnote. Like, when they're first introduced, this is mentioned as their background. And then, like, whatever. Like, they're done. Well, and then, like, they have, like, foursomes. Well, yeah. But, I mean, like, they're not, like, they don't harp on the fact that their parents were basically like, you can have sex with us whenever you want as long as we're willing. Yeah. Which I guess we should say for the record is is rape because they cannot give consent because they were children. 
Yes. And, and, and like, I would cult. find I would find the two brothers being incestuous less bizarre. Yeah, well you watch Supernatural. <laughs> I mean I don't, but okay. I mean you've seen Supernatural. <laughs> I don't. I've anyway. <laughs> Which one? Who's the dean in this one? <laughs> so um they so we get their point of view for a while and we find out that this was how they were raised in this weird cult that now they actually believe that they're vampires and they have to feed on people on blood um to it's never really explained how physiologically the blood interacts at all with them and how they can drink as much blood as they claim to and not have ill effects i don't know that's another well, they thing. need a lot of protein to do all their extreme sports. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm not a nutritionist, but I think human blood is basically the same as a protein shake. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so they they um It's the same as Mountain Dew. <laughs> they uh they get like they, they super get off on feeding on humans. Um, in order to, like, quell those urges until it's the proper time, they do extreme sports because it gives them, like, the same kick. Uh, sometimes they combine the two things. Like, at one point, they're doing extreme sports, um, parachuting from a height they're not supposed to be parachuting well, from. Well, they're skydiving, and, and they kill the pilot, and then yes. jump getting to that part oh i thought i thought you were saying there okay i thought you were like combining it with the rock climbing or something okay sorry i jumped the gun to the best part of the whole book bye uh yeah so as i was saying and then renata said um they're they're going skydiving they're parachuting and they force this woman to go up to a height she's not supposed to for a little extra money then they kill her drink her blood and then jump out of the plane like, it's, it's very, it's all very strange. They do have, <laughs> they do at one point, the, when they talk about killing people and drinking the blood, it is all very erotically written, but not, it's not, they don't explicitly get off on it for a long time. Like, it's just very clear that it's being written in an erotic fashion, but there's not an explicitly erotic element to it until I was listening to the audiobook at top volume outside of a school and suddenly they're having a foursome and it's very explicitly described. So I think we can all learn a lesson about keeping the volume on your audiobooks down when you're in residential neighborhoods from this. Um, but yeah, Good so they, cautionary tale. <laughs> a hard learned lesson. We get their point of view. We hear about how they're like killing all of these people for the sire. Um, they're driving across the country in a Red Cross blood mobile and picking people out and murdering them. And they're always like two steps ahead of Alex. Meanwhile, Alex is investigating all of these. After like the fifth murder, they talk to a survivor who's a drug addict who claims that vampires were what attacked her. And suddenly it's as if they've had this thought for the first time. They're like, Oh my God, vampires like to bite people and drink blood. This, we might be onto something here. Uh, Alex visits a 
vampire academic dude who owns a vampire library, which is where we get how there's, you know, the vampire role players, and then there's the goth kids, and then there's the worshippers, and then there's the real vampires. Yeah, and he can never get a straight answer out of that. I think it's a UCSB professor, or uh, at least assistant professor, or adjunct, or something, but he can never get a straight answer, and it's really frustrating for the reader, because it's like, He's like, are you a vampire? I don't understand. He's like, well, it depends on what you think a vampire is. I mean, I'm not quoting right now. I'm paraphrasing. But he'll give some wishy-washy answer where it's just like, hey, are you a vampire or aren't you? And he'll, like, skirt the answer and just show him his fangs. So, yeah, there's a bigger problem without being clear. I guess we already talked about how the vampire clarity is uh, fuzzy at best. Yeah. So... That's all going on. There, There's murders on the East Coast that are the same sort of vampire-like killings. So Alex and his FBI buddy Kyle Craig are investigating those. Uh, finally, they think that they've figured out who it is, and it's these magicians. So they go to New Orleans to corner them, and... They catch them at a party, but then they're killed, so they can't be the ones committing the murders. And more murders are happening, and then they trace them back to the original murders on the West Coast. And this compound in Santa Cruz, and they find out, you know, that these brothers are who were involved, and there's a shootout, and they move in on this compound and try to capture the brothers and have to kill them because they're coming after them and find out that the real mastermind behind the entire thing was the guy who owned the vampire library who wanted to be the new sire because one of the magicians who they killed in New Orleans was the old sire and they needed to get rid of him so that they could take over. And yeah, everybody, you know, the sire. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I imagine, the least confusing and quickest way to summarize that plot line of the book. You did amazing. That was that was a much better story than the actual book. <laughs> I'm going to just throw in a P.S. There were like three tigers in that plot. Yeah. Yes, because in some mythologies, they believe vampires turn into tigers. And which... the magicians had tigers. But did the brothers have a tiger also? Or... Yes, the okay. brothers yeah. had a tiger because they used to live on an animal preserve. Oh, because the cult was it? Yeah. yeah, the cult was also an animal animal preserve or something. Yeah, and then so the, also yeah. there's a guy who makes fake vampire fangs, but he also makes fake tiger fangs. <laughs> so you can like put them in your mouth and have a tiger mouth, I guess. But that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know. You can't <laughs> And what they mentioned a tiger has 33 teeth. He's like, Alex could see that tiger. And then it was like, all right, begin copy paste. He could see all of the tiger's 33 teeth. It's like, you can't fit 33 teeth in a human mouth. So they're making some hybrid version of tiger things. Because also, I'm not sure if this happened or if I thought it. Like, I, I think it was leading us to think, to be confused about if the tiger was killing people or if somebody was putting in tiger fangs in their mouth to do k- killing or some third thing. 
Anyway, tigers. I just wanted to mention that because <laughs> I like that part. <laughs> so then, like- real quick, there was another plot. Like, there was an overarching plot from the other Alex Cross books where Alex has been stalked by this serial killer called the Mastermind for several books at this point who, like, killed his ex-partner slash girlfriend and killed these other people and make, gives him threatening phone calls that are untraceable all the time. So throughout the majority of the book, he's getting these like creepy phone calls, um, you know, saying like, I'm going to murder your, your grandmother who is sitting on a bench at this place right now doing this exact thing. So you know that I'm the real do- deal and actually watching her. And over the course of the book, he, realizes when he gets this bad feeling the mastermind is going to go after the detective Jamila Hughes because he's got a thing for her, of course, and the mastermind likes to kill and attack women who he has a thing for, and he realizes when he goes to save Jamila that the mastermind is his FBI buddy friend Kyle Craig, and he's been fucking with him for years now, while also being the mastermind and killing people. So then there's a whole, after the actual vampire plot ends, there's another like hours worth of the book <laughs> where they're chasing down Kyle Craig and trying to figure out like how to capture him. And he murders a bunch of other people that Alex likes and his family has to go into hiding. And then finally he corners him and then they get into a fight. He knocks Kyle unconscious and then makes a mysterious phone call that's very important but that phone call is not to the police or any other type of backup it's to his own answering machine so sometime later when Kyle wakes up from his unconsciousness and villain monologues his entire plot he has evidence which just seemed very elaborate. Like, why didn't he call for backup and then maybe do that too if he's so concerned? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's what cracked me up because, like, any time the, the early aughts, like, reared their, reared their heads in this book, it made me laugh. So, like, nowadays you wouldn't need to call your answering machine. You just throw your smartphone on record. But back then it was, like, it was all so simple. He faxed himself. <laughs> a message <laughs> reminded him to page his page-operated voicemail machine. <laughs> like, All right, that's not simple. But also, so some of this book, especially the parts that did not have the vampires in, I was skimming a little bit. But there was a part where he is trying to call Jamila, the detective who he has a crush on. And I learned from Wikipedia he dates in later books, of course. He's, But also he's trying to call her because he's worried about her and it gets her answering machine. And he's like, uh, I always hated answering machines. We still don't have one at my house. And then I, I don't remember him going out to get an answering machine. Oh, but he has catch. one. Good catch. <laughs> so I'm really questioning the whole Alex Cross continuity here. <laughs> <laughs> But it, that stuck out of my head because I was so like, who hates answering? Like, of course, yeah. now we have voicemail, but who is like, and, or like, you hate maybe having to leave a message or whatever, but he's like, oh, I always hate answering machines. <laughs> and so that the stuck out to me because it was so weird. And then the whole thing like re- resolves, is resolved with an answering machine. Doesn't add up. 
No, it doesn't. <laughs> you just Alex crossed this plot. <laughs> I'm the true mastermind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the gentleman caller. <laughs> Kate, you're Casanova, I think. <laughs> those were the other serial killers. <laughs> yeah, those are the ones that Kyle Craig teamed up with during college, maybe? Wait. Oh, or, no, they went to the same college as Kyle Craig. So he, <laughs> I, I get, okay. So I spoiled this whole book for myself in as much as it can be spoiled because I looked on Wikipedia, as I've mentioned several times. But one of the things was like the mastermind, parentheses, Kyle Craig. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not trying to brag, but like, I was. <laughs> Starting this book, I was like, all right, there's going to be some, like, twist in this. What is it? And I had pigeon, I had, like, earmarked Kyle Craig as, like, all right, this guy probably is going to have some weird twist because his his purpose in the story, it, it doesn't matter. He goes, he doesn't do anything except for be an extra agent, you know? So, of course, you want to introduce a character that's, you know, is just kind of hiding in the wings so that when you do have a twist... You can be like, see, this guy's been along for the ride the whole time. I'm not just pulling him out of nowhere. But yeah, I always thought there was something going on with Kyle Craig. It's like, what's this guy's deal? He's not he's not really doing stuff in this story. But, you know, lo and behold, he was doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes that was, you know, tormenting the society. Especially because, I mean, we haven't read any of the others, so I don't know if how he's characterized in those. It sounds like he has a slightly bigger role, but about halfway through the book, very abruptly, all of the descriptions of him stop being like, oh, Kyle Craig, my friend from the FBI, and it's all like, Kyle was acting strange. You know, Kyle did this thing that just seemed very out of character. Like, <laughs> Kyle said this, and he sounded evil, and I couldn't figure out why. Jamila had a bad feeling about Kyle, and, you know, Kyle was really rude to her for reasons that I couldn't figure out. Like, halfway through, they start very heavy-handedly being like... There is something wrong with this person, and we're going to find out what it is eventually. Yeah, and, and there's, there's like a push-pull dynamic with Alex Cross's genius and Kyle Craig's genius, because it either means that Alex Cross is not as good a detective as we've been led to believe if the true murderer was hiding. You know, he never once considered this guy to be the murderer, or... Kyle Craig is just that good that he can convince the great Alex. Like either way, it's a convenient, like James Patterson set up a convenient situation where he can just say, well, mastermind's super smart. That's why Alex Cross never, never considered him. Although Jamila hated him from the beginning. And Mm -hmm. um, so maybe she's the true mastermind. (laughs) It's all, and they don't even really, like, they they make a point of several times being, like, he's not a psychopath, like, he's not a sociopath, like, he never did all of the hallmarks of serial killing, like, he never set fires, he never killed animals, he just, like, abruptly started murdering people in college while he went to school with every other serial killer. They all went to Duke at the same time, apparently. (laughs) Um, And he's a killer because his father beat him, but also his brothers were better than him. And he was envious or something. It's, It's never really 
entirely explained why he's a killer if he he's not a killer for these traditional reasons that they've ruled out i don't know yeah it was like a half-assed like a half-assed stew of like all your common serial killer tropes like right down to you know how like in movies when there's a uh like a tormenting serial killer on the phone they always have that kind of garbled like saw voice where it's like hello you know like it's, (laughs) it's a distorted so that was in there this like love hate competition with his uh, the opposite of himself and wanting. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's just a lot here. There's so much, and I really feel like there should be two books. I feel like it should be the vampire book, which I would read, and the mastermind book, which I would put back on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> right next to Merry Christmas, Alex Cross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we were recording, I was looking up all the Alex Cross books there are, which there are 25 of them, and I remembered that one of them is called Merry Christmas, Alex Cross, which caused it to be misshelved as a children's book for many weeks at the last library I worked at, uh, just because Merry Christmas, Alex Cross sounds like a children's book. Although, to be fair, so does Violets Are Blue and Roses Are... Like, a lot of these, I feel like, could accidentally end up in the children's department. Except for the fact that they're very long. Yeah. (laughs) It is very funny to look at the titles because, like, the first, like, 10 or 12 books have these, like, uh, nursery rhyme-esque titles. And then, abruptly, they turn into, like, I, Alex Cross, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's. (laughs) crossing the street yeah intermingled with like alex cross on trial merry christmas alex cross alex (laughs) cross is great like it's it's half cross puns and half just alex a a description of what alex is doing in the book yeah and then like a smattering of mother goose nursery rhyme titles (laughs) which violets are blue has zero percent to do with this yeah, it definitely does. And so I'm I'm guessing Roses is Roses Are Red also has zero percent to do with like whatever that one is about. Yeah, at least like red is like blood is like murder. Like I could kinda see like okay something maybe. But this is not. Yeah, there's no <laughs> like why not just have it's so easy too. Like all you have to do is mention one of the magicians wears like a boutonniere that's made of blue violets or something, you know? Yeah, like they always it, it would have been so violets. easy to throw that in there. Yeah. Or like the reason Alex Cross always hated answering machines was because <laughs> <laughs> because they had ruined his violet garden somehow. <laughs> yeah, they they trampled his violet garden. Yeah, when like they when was... the technician came to install his answering machine, <laughs> they tipped over the pot of violets that had been growing on his kitchen windowsill. <laughs> they were Just not we're ready to good book here. I put violets are blue in the kindle search and there are four things that come up and they're all like the title of the page like the the part that's called violets are blue the title page where it says violets are blue (laughs) the page that lists all of the books in the alex cross series yeah the copyright there's no mention (laughs) of violets in the book at all jeez james patterson what are you doing buddy I know you're listening. I know you're out there. <laughs> Step up your game, please. Call us, James. <laughs> Call us. Are you hurting? 
Who hurt you so bad you never want to feel that way again? <laughs> so, that's the plot of the book. Is there anything else that we want to talk about? Then the third plot of the book is just, like, the snippets of his family life and how he's kind of a single dad, although the father of his baby is still around. I was not actually clear on the custody arrangement of the the baby. Well, I looked this up on Wikipedia by accident. Great. Um, so he has two kids who are older, who are school-aged. Yeah, and their, from- their mom is dead. Yeah, she died mm-hmm. when they were very little, and that's when his grandmother, who raised him, moved in with them to help him take care of them. And then he had another girlfriend who was his fiance, who he proposed to at one point, and she was pregnant, and then she was kidnapped by a serial killer who was taunting him and held hostage for a while. And when she came back, she was just like, fuck this. So she had well, and, the baby. And she's and- in this book a little bit too. Cause he calls her be like, Hey, the mastermind's killing everybody that I love. So maybe you, and she's like, God damn it. Yeah. So she moves <laughs> away to get away from him and leaves him with the baby. But then apparently in later books, she decides that she wants custody of the baby. So she takes him to court and she wins, but then she decides that she doesn't actually want custody of the baby for reals. Just, I guess she was fucking with him. So he leaves, she leaves him with the baby and goes back to Seattle. <laughs> this is little Alex we're talking about? Yes. Who very confusingly in the books he always refers to the baby as little Alex, but in the Wikipedia pages they refer to him as Allie. Maybe when huh. he gets older he gets a nickname. I don't and then know. I guess probably that's what happened. Or he or he just forgot what he named the baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible. It starts with an A. He knows that. There's an L sound. Who can keep track? That's how bad a father he is. That's why he. But yeah, that that sort of points back to like, like an over like a theme story. Like it's kind of a story, more of a theme. It's like push and pull with his like his family life and how that interferes with his his professional life and. All it's really saying is, like, he's having a hard time balancing it, but it's not a bad thing that he's balancing it, really. Yeah, because his kids are, like, they tease him, but deep down they're, like, very proud of his work and it, and his, you know, his grandma is happy to watch the kids and she likes it. And it's fine, except sometimes he feels a little bad about it. Yeah, he gets guff. He gets, like, some, some teases. <laughs> like, doesn't someone call in from a family gathering and they're eating socket to me cake and they're, like... They're kind of teasing him, being like, oh, well, you know, you you should wish you had this. Do you remember the socket to me cake yeah, at all? Yeah, I do, because like... I was yeah, like, yeah. what's socket to me cake? And then I was like, I cannot yeah. look this up on Wikipedia, because I know I will fall through just like a bunch of Wikipedia cakes. So I'm just going to move on. <laughs> so I still don't know what it is. So it's totally a cake, like not even a, not something you make, you can make it from scratch, but it's enough of a cake to where Duncan Hines Offers a, a cake mix for socket to me cake. Oh, um, and that made me remember Duncan Hines as a thing. <laughs> I totally forgot about Duncan Hines. So this podcast brought to you by Steaks and Duncan Hines cakes. <laughs> yeah, like as as far as I know, it's it's like very similar to like the coffee cake that my grandmother would make, which was not called that, but it was like a bunt cake 
with a cinnamon walnut mixture or pecans or some sort of nut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say I just Googled it. The top hit is from allrecipes.com and includes pecans. Number two hit on Google is Duncan Hines. <laughs> there you go. So if we, let's all uh, do what we can to move it up in the Google rankings. Our new sponsor, Duncan Hines, Saco <laughs> to Me Cake and Steak. <laughs> Everybody do your part. It's not going to happen on its own. Yeah. Got to keep clicking. Click. I don't know how the algorithm works, but I know there was something like... Dan Savage made it so that the top hit for Santorum was, like, um, the frothy mixture. If you don't know what that is, Google Santorum, and it's not the top hit. So there's some way you can game it, and we'll figure out what that is, and we'll do it for cake, and we'll we'll get back to you about that. <laughs> yeah, and please, I may, not be, I may not be around to see that, but please hold Renata and Kate accountable and make sure they do this. <laughs> Wait, are you dying? I have you I been bitten by a human because you should go to the doctor. Nah, I'm sure it's all right. <laughs> it punctured my skin. There was saliva. They were squatting in an abandoned house, but I'm sure it's clean. Okay, that sounds good. Um, <laughs> I guess we should move on to our dramatic readings. Sounds good. Oh, I do want to mention before we move on that the whole thing with Santa Cruz where all of the vampire shit comes to a head in Santa Cruz, which they refer to as the vampire capital of the world. The way that they put it is something like the kids the, the kids say that it's the vampire capital of the world. And as I was listening to this, I was driving home from work with a friend of the show, Margaret, not Margaret Willison, different Margaret, in the car, and jokingly was like, do they, do they really say that? And she Googled it, and she was like, yes, actually, they do. The Lost Boys was apparently filmed in Santa Cruz, and because of that, like, people call it the vampire capital of the world. I feel like we all know that Forks, Washington is the vampire capital of the world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but okay <laughs> um, I thought it was Beau Tom <laughs> lots of conflicting information out there well that reminds me well of... that's probably like the weird <laughs> panther capital of the world oh yeah there you go the Jason Stackhouse and his and his crew but that reminded me so there's a couple I guess before we move on to the dramatic readings I wanted to slip in a couple of things uh, based off of that Santa Cruz uh, tidbit there were these weird parallel uh, true life things that I didn't know if James Patterson was drawing on with this book. So, so apparently, um, you know how he mentions Vampire uh, the Masquerade, like that role-playing game? Oh, yeah. So apparently there was a real-life murder where a teen you know, was really into that game, and he, he killed his friend's parents with like a crowbar, and... Uh, you know, there's a, a claw hammer killing in this book. And then also, uh, going back to when the, the uh, William and Michael grew up on an animal, animal preserve in uh, California, uh, there's an area sort of like central California um, where uh, William Randolph Hearst had a, uh, a castle. <laughs> it's called Hearst Castle. Yes. And, he, and to, to, to this day, there's still 
like zebras and stuff roaming around on the lands because at one point he had like a uh, like a menagerie and uh, it got it wasn't very tended to I guess so these things were were like procreating and just sort of like being introduced to this ecosystem they're not used to so I wonder if James Patterson kind of had that as a reference and then also the very 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 accurate uh, fashion of vampires in this book which. <laughs> Top oh hats God. get mentioned three times. He mentions he's like classic <laughs> vampire duds. Top hats, <laughs> cravats, morning coats. It was very. It was an insight into what James Patterson uh, sees as scary. Maybe. And I want to piggyback off of that, and I want to say also uh, the thing where they catch the the two vampire killers. It's a fetish ball, <laughs> and Alex is. He tells it to Jamila. He's like, oh, it's a fetish ball, so we'll have to go. And she's like, what's a fetish ball? And he's like, oh, you know, you dress up like when, like whatever fetish or kink you're into. You know, like, and I wrote this down. This is the exact list of fetishes. Leather, rubber, goth, Victorian. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the four fetishes that Alex Cross knows. <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> Yeah, Those are the can four you have like? <laughs> this is the new Hogwarts oh. ho- house sorting. Which fetish are you? <laughs> Leather, rubber, goth, or Victorian? <laughs> also, can... I want to go back one step. This is not super related, but I just want to say about Hearst Castle that my mom, friend of the show, my mom, is obsessed (laughs) with Patty Hearst and has this big collection of Patty Hearst books. And one of the ones she has is this paper, like vintage paperback biography that was written by Francine Pascal, which I looked up and it is the same Sweet Valley High one. And I feel like this explains a lot about the Sweet Valley twins. And I want to like go back and examine how they were or were not influenced by Patty Hearst. That's all. <laughs> that's a that's a but, juicy discovery. I know this is. I could do a whole podcast just about Patty Hearst, but we won't right now. Anyway, because <laughs> we gotta talk podcast. about these fetishes. <laughs> these fetishes need their due. Um, yeah, those were good things to come back to. I'm glad we did that. <laughs> uh, sorry, Ryan, I cut you off to talk about the fetishes. Was there anything else that you were gonna add? Uh, just how much I enjoyed. I enjoyed James Patterson's idea of the vampire community. I like that he tackled it. You know, I like that he was like, <laughs> I don't know a lot about it, but that's not going to stop me. <laughs> I want to make a ranking of like things that James Patterson knows about. And like, <laughs> number one is Sade. Uh, <laughs> number two is fetishes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Vampires might not even be in the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I also liked how I guess it was like he copy and pasted from like a Lonely Planet guide every time he went to a new place. Yes, he did do that. Like yes. he had to. I I get that you have to kind of describe the setting so you kind of know what physical space these people are operating in. But it was so. It was like tonally herky jerky where it'd be like Alex Cross would be. Uh, 
you know, hunting down a killer, and then he'd be remarking on like the beautiful architecture of Savannah. Yes, he'd my like, fa- and then like- also, also when he gets to Savannah, not only does he copy paste Lonely Planet, he also copies paste uh, in the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and he's just like, yeah, that book was set here, and it's about this anyway, vampires. And there's like yeah. a whole paragraph that's just like recapping Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. He does that, too, with, like, French Connection, where instead of describing, <laughs> like, putting you in the moment, he's just like, it was a lot like that scene in French Connection. It was like they're staking out. They're having a stakeout. And yeah. he's like, he, he's like, I don't care to describe what this is like, but picture this scene from a movie. <laughs> oh, yep. Classic. All right. Uh, I think we should probably move on to dramatic readings. Fine. <laughs> All right. So this is um, the magic show that, okay, the two magicians are named Daniel and Charles, and they seem like they're Siegfried and Roy, and they have the tigers and everything, but also Siegfried and Roy also exist in this universe, so I don't know, I don't know why you would do that. But anyway, th- th- Daniel and Charles, a.k.a. Siegfried and Roy, are there, and then William is one of the incesty vampire guys. And he and his brother are there at the magic show with these two, um, a, a famous actor and actress who are a couple, and the vampire murderers are trying to seduce this actor and actress couple for a foursome followed by murder. But we're just going to read you <laughs> some of the magic part. Um, oh, and uh, Ryan will be William, who is also the narrator of this chapter, and Kate will be the magician Daniel, and I will be the magician Charles. Okay. Here we go. The two magicians continued to taunt each other mercilessly on stage. William's eyes drifted back toward the bright lights and the loud bickering. He smiled, couldn't help it. The magicians were part of tonight, too. A big part, actually. Important as hell. Daniel and Charles were in their early 40s. They were handsome in a crude sort of way, confident, especially in the eyes of the tawdry Vegas crowd. Daniel spoke to the audience as if he were a trial lawyer, cleverly engaging a jury. He waved a long, highly polished sword, using it for emphasis. We are performance artists, possibly the best now working in the world. We've played at Madison Square and the Winter Garden in New York, the Magic Castle, the Palladium? Palladium? Uh, Palladium. Whatever. Someplace in London, (laughs) the Crazy Horse Saloon in Paris. We've headlined in Frankfurt, Sydney, Melbourne, Moscow, Tokyo, of course. (laughs) Of course, Tokyo. Charles seemed bored by his partner's self-serving speech. He sat down on the edge of the stage and yawned until his tonsils showed. They don't care about your pedigree, Daniel. Most of these bumpkins wouldn't know Houdini from Siegfried and Roy. Do a cheap trick. That's what they're here for. Tricks are for kids, and they're all kids. Do a trick. Do a cheap, slick trick. Daniel suddenly pointed the tip of his sword at his partner. He waggled it threateningly. I'm warning you, chump. William looked over at the couple sitting beside him. This part is pretty good, he whispered. Believe it or not. He caught the male's eye, but the actor quickly pulled his gaze away. Too late. He had him, too. The male wanted to get into his pants. Who could blame him? God, he wanted to feed. Right here, 
right now. On stage, Daniel had begun to yell at Charles. I've had enough of your high-handed, condescending bullshit, partner. I've had enough of you. More than enough. That's too bad. William mimicked the next. Uh, William mimicked the next few words spoken on stage, because I've only just begun to torment you and them, the bumpkins. The two actors sitting next to them laughed at William's accurate play-by-play. He had them utterly charmed. Now the male almost couldn't take his eyes off William. Poor, poor Andrew. I just have two quick things, which is, I don't believe that that thing that William's doing would charm anyone. <laughs> and also, I, like, I also was just imagining this, in addition to being Siegfried and Roy, it was also 100% Job from Arrested Development. <laughs> With the Sword of Destiny. <laughs> and I have one quick thing, which is, they mentioned playing the Winter Garden Theater. This book came out in 2001. Cats only closed in, like, 2001 I believe and they played that theater for like 18 years so I don't know if they were just like on a a Monday when Cats was dark they snuck in and did a show (laughs) or if they interrupted a showing of Cats or what wait maybe they played Mr. Mistopheles the magical cat maybe (laughs) no maybe about it I'm convinced that's what happened (laughs) that's what he meant by when they played them like the audience assumes they did this show but they just like were in cats (laughs) (laughs) they're understudies (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think clearly Daniel would have been the actor and Charles the understudy (laughs) Uh, cool Okay, so that's very enjoyable. We didn't even get to the tiger part. You'll have to read this book for yourself. Um, or don't. I don't care. But um, the the next dramatic reading is going to be one of the mastermind's, like, villain monologues to himself, I guess. And uh, I will, I will be the mastermind. As he had done so many times before... Probably a dozen times by now, the mastermind watched Alex Cross and his family. Love equals hate, he thought. What an incredible equation. But so true. Absolutely true. It made the world go round, and that was a lesson Alex Cross needed to learn. Christ, he was such a fucking optimist, it was infuriating. If anyone had cared enough to study his past carefully, they would have discovered the keys to everything that had happened so far. His personal crime and murder spree was one of the most daring in history. It had lasted for over 28 years. He could count the mistakes he'd made on one hand. The keys were right there for anybody to see. Narcissistic personality disorder. That's where it all began. That's where it would end. A grandiose self of sense of self-importance. That was him, all right. Expects to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements. Preoccupied with fantasies of limited success, power, brilliance, or ideal love. Interpersonally exploitive. Wait. Ex- exploitive? I want to say exploitative, but it doesn't say that. Whatever. Something. Uh, he exploits people. Yes, indeed. He lived for it. <laughs> Lacks empathy, to put it mildly. But please note, Dr. Cross and others who might wish to study the long and winding trail, 
This is a personality disorder. There is no psychosis involved. I am an organized, even obsessive thinker. I can work out elaborate plots that serve my need to compete, criticize, and control. The three C's. I am rarely impulsive. Questions you should be asking about me. Are my parents alive? Answer, yes and no. Was I ever married? Answer, yes. Any siblings? Answer, oh, absolutely. No to bene. If I'm married, do I have any children? Answer, two genuine American beauties. I saw that movie, by the way. Loved Kevin Spacey. Adored him. Am I attractive or physically flawed in some minor way? Answer, yes and yes. Now do the homework. Draw the love and the hate triangles in my life, doctor. You're in the triangles, of course. So is your family. Nana, Damon, Janie, and Alex Jr. Everything you care about and think that you stand for is right there in those beautiful triangles, wrapped up in my obsessions. So unravel it before it's too late for both of us. Not to mention everybody you care about in the world. I'm right outside your house on 5th Street, and it would be so easy to barge inside right now. It would have been so easy to kill you and the family at the Smithsonian. The Smitty, as your daughter calls it. But that would be too easy, too small. And, as I've been trying to tell you... The phone in the mastermind's hand was ringing, calling, reaching out to somebody. He patiently let it continue. Finally, Cross picked up. I have a grandiose sense of self-importance, the mastermind said. So I don't understand what this is. Like, parts of it are written in italics. (laughs) And it's almost like he's doing, like, a 17 quiz or something. Interspersed (laughs) with, like, his monologue. And then he talks about these love and hate triangles, and later in one of his other monologues, he draws the triangles, but they don't understand what they mean. They're really confusing, and I think they're confusing like it's a like it's a thing that everyone should know, as if it was like, oh, like your (laughs) like your pros and cons list, your love and hate triangles. Like what? That's not is that a thing? I guess I technically (laughs) did not Google it. Um. Well. Yeah, that's all very, that's all true as you read it. And good job reading it, by the way. Um, It reminded me of, like, he's very gleeful, you know? He's, like, very happy about about being a, a genius killer. Mm-hmm. And it made me think of, like, that scene in The Grinch, you know, where The Grinch stole Christmas, or, yeah, we talked about Christmas earlier, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, the Merry Grinch Christmas, Christmas, Alex Cross, until The Grinch steals <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just that, like, that sort of bad guy who's so bad he loves being bad like he loves it and that's why he's bad yeah and it's very silly yes i mean first of all he calls himself the mastermind so (laughs) it's like straight up marvel villain territory (laughs) the brainiac (sighs) all right and then our final dramatic reading is a date that Alex goes on earlier in the book with a woman named Macy and uh, Kate will, oh no, I'll be Macy and Kate will be Alex. Yeah, like they grew up together and now she's a college professor and they're both single and something. There we go. 
I asked some girlfriends about you. Alex Cross is not available, a few of them said. He's kind of a coconut, one sister said. The other girl said she was crazy as a loon. But are you? I shook my head. People are funny. Have a need to make judgments on everybody else. I still live in the old neighborhood, don't I? No coconuts live in Southeast. At least, I don't think so. Macy agreed with that. You're right, you're right. Not too many people understand how we grew up here, Alex. I was named after a damn department store. You believe that? I do. I grew up here, Macy. We clinked our glasses and laughed. I guess I'm lucky my name isn't Bloomingdale. A couple of times I brought up dinner, but she was more comfortable sitting and talking. <laughs> I know she- <laughs> I know Chef Lister cost, and I love her cooking. I had my heart set on crab cakes garnished with her special slaw. But we drank another couple of glasses of wine, and then Macy started to get a little ahead of me with the wine orders. You sure you don't want to eat something? I asked a little later. I think I already told you that I didn't. She forced a smile. I like what we're doing here. Just talking, chilling, don't you? I did like talking to Macy, but I hadn't eaten since breakfast, and I needed to get some food in me pretty soon. I was hungering for some thick, luscious black bean soup. I glanced at my watch and saw that it was already 10.30. I wondered what time 1789 stopped serving. You do look great. Oh, so we should also clarify, we're skipping a little bit because this is long and we want to get to this. So if this seems abrupt, it is. You do look great and you listen pretty good for a man. That's important. You too, Macy. I like your stories. Her hand was back on top of mine, her nails lightly grazing my skin. It felt nice, actually. There was nothing too subtle going on here. She let her tongue wet her upper lip. Then she lightly bit down on the lower. I was finally starting to forget that I was hungry for crab cakes and black bean soup at 1789. (laughs) Macy was quietly staring into my eyes. We were both adults, unattached, and I was definitely attracted to a lot of things about her. My place isn't far, Alex. I don't usually do this. Come home with me. Just walk me home. Her place was only ten blocks away, so I walked Macy there. She had a little trouble walking, and her speech was slurred. I put my arm around her, held her steady. Macy's apartment was on the ground floor of a townhouse near the university. It was minimally furnished. The walls were painted pale green. Against one wall was a black liqueur upright piano. A framed magazine article about Ruddy Crew caught my eye. The educator's words were set in large type. Education is about the distribution of knowledge, and to whom we actually distribute this particular commodity is a major question in this country. Macy and I held each other and cuddled for a moment on the living room couch. I liked her touch, the way she kissed. This wasn't right, though. I knew that. I knew knew that I didn't want to be here. Not tonight, anyway. Macy wasn't at her best right now. Good man's hard to find. Macy said, drawing me close. She was still slurring her words a bit. You have no idea. No idea. So hard out here. It's hell. I did have some idea about how hard it was to find someone to be with, but I didn't pursue the point. Maybe some other time. Macy, I'm going to head home, I finally said. I liked seeing you again. 
I liked it a lot. I expected as much. I knew it. Just go, Alex. Go. I don't want to fucking see you again. Before the anger had welled in her eyes, I had seen something beautiful and nearly irresistible. Now it was gone again. Maybe she could get back in touch with it. Maybe not. Then Macy started to cry, and I knew enough not to try and comfort her. I didn't want to be condescending. I just left the apartment with its beautiful piano and the wonderful quote from Rudy Crew. This woman wasn't right for me to be with. Not now, anyway. Sad night. A good woman is hard to find, too, I wanted to tell Macy. God, I hated dating. There's 17 things that I want to unpack about this. Um, (laughs) One of them is how probably the most relatable Alex Cross has ever been to me is when they're, like, drinking. And he's like, oh, I want soup, though. Are we going to eat? Or... Because I'm so, like, anytime that you make social plans with me, I'm always, like, very clear, like, should I eat first? Are we going to eat? Are we definitely going to eat? Or, like, (laughs) I want to, like, because if it's just going to be, like, a drinks and snack things, I'm going to eat a sandwich first, and I need to know. And so I was like, thank you, Alex. This is important. (laughs) Um, Then a few things I was less uh, approving of. Uh, Macy did have her little, like, oh, black people, blacky names. Can you believe I'm named after a store? So thanks for that, James Patterson. Uh, (laughs) And then the third thing was, and I don't, I mean, I would never call anyone any of these things, but my understanding is that this, like, the slang coconut for somebody who's brown on the outside but white on the inside, like, I've feel like that is for if you're like Latino or South Asian and people want to call you that. And I feel like if you are a black person who is considered to be acting white, I feel like you're an Oreo. (laughs) And again, I don't condone that term, but I just, I feel like if you're going to use it, I feel like that's the one that you would use. I believe James Patterson did about as much research into, like, appropriate racial slurs as he did with (laughs) vampires and teen culture. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but... (laughs) I I would like to point out the fact that we're supposed to think that Alex is so great because he doesn't sleep with this drunk woman who can barely stand upright and can't consent to it. I mean... What a gentleman. Yeah, good. It is good. (laughs) But, yeah... Yeah, it definitely is very, like, he's very heroic. But I also love that he's like, oh, she was beautiful, and then she got mad, and now it's gone. (laughs) Yeah. That's sort of limiting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She was pretty until she had emotions. Plus, he didn't. You know what? Maybe if he would have started off the date with some food in his belly, it would have gone well. (laughs) You know, like, what if he he was in a good mood, he was keeping up with her with the drinks. So, PSA, guys, make sure you eat if you're supposed to eat before your social event. And if you're not supposed to, don't get too drunk. Yeah. But also don't shame people. (laughs) Yeah, I had prepared a different moral of the story, which we'll get to later. But I think the moral might actually be, like, always eat soup. (laughs) (laughs) If you're at 1789 or whatever that restaurant's called and Chef... uh, (laughs) <laughs> and you're the chef Chef Lacoste is there, yeah. Chef Lacoste! <laughs> oh, boy. You know that's definitely some of James Patterson. Like, I just... 
don't know if I have a bad imagination or something, but a lot of these things, I just picture James Patterson, like, writing this scene. Maybe he was, like, peckish at the moment when he was writing this scene, and he's just, like, before he realized he needed to eat some food, he wrote a couple paragraphs, and it just turned into his character, his, like, alter ego. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, I think... I think that if you went, I don't know if Yelp was around them, but I think if you went on, like, the website for, I think this is a real restaurant, I think if you went on the website, it would have, like, that chef's name and be like, don't miss the luscious black bean soup and crab cakes with, like, special slaw or whatever. <laughs> I think it would have that exact thing on their website. Yeah. Or, like or at least it those, would like, have in 2002. <laughs> like one of those magazines, like those in-flight magazines where it tells oh, you. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you're right. It was not a website. <laughs> like, it was an in-flight magazine. I agree completely. <laughs> it's like Wolfgang Puck <laughs> next to a paragraph. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where do you, when you're in D.C.? <laughs> this. <laughs> Okay, well, I think we've unpacked that very thoroughly, and we should move on to play Would You Rather? Sounds good. All right. Would you rather be the mastermind hunting Alex Cross, or be Alex Cross hunting the mastermind? Kate, you want to go, or? Yeah, I'm going to say I would like to be the mastermind hunting Alex Cross, because... A, it goes on for a little bit longer. Alex Cross really only hunts the mastermind for, like, you know, an hour's worth of the book at the end. B, Alex Cross seems to be pretty dumb before he catches the mastermind. So you could probably get away with a lot more shit. And C, the mastermind is super into this and having a good time. Alex Cross seems really stressed when he's hunting the mastermind. It just seems like it's putting a lot of heavy toll on him. And there's enough stressful things happening in my life right now that I don't need that. <laughs> Plus, Alex Cross never got that soup. He yeah. <laughs> never did. That's a very, You make a very convincing case for being a psychotic FBI <laughs> patient. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the mastermind seemed to spend a lot of his time just, like, taking those 17 quizzes and, like, writing out his, like, manifesto or whatever, which seems soothing. Uh, well, even as you read that excerpt, it sounded like a diary entry, like... <laughs> his blog. <laughs> yeah, his live journal. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah mood murderous. <laughs> Knife emoji. Uh, I think I I would rather be Alex Cross hunting uh, the mastermind because I was envious of how uh, how worn out Alex Cross was while still being while still able to like operate and that's something I like fantasize about in my own life is just being like wow if I could still be completely beat up and worn out and still do my like and still maintain my responsibilities. I, I would feel content <laughs> if that were true about me. And I feel like that's true about Alex Cross is like, he is, com- he he's always exhausted. He still has human bite, staph infection. <laughs> yeah. getting over that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that might not sweeten the deal. Um, maybe he's been bitten before though. Maybe that's why. Um, but yeah, so I envy Alex Cross's like, his hardiness. <laughs> so I would rather be him. Yeah. 
I think I would rather be Alex Crest too, just although um, Kate did make a compelling point for the mastermind, he was also ultimately just, like, very jealous of Alex Cross and very, like, he seemed like um, he would never be satisfied. And I think mm. Alex Cross could eventually be satisfied. Like, I think it would really just take, like, some soup. so that's that's my answer that one and next i'll ask would you rather go to a goth fetish party or a victorian fetish party which as we all know are two of the four fetishes (laughs) (laughs) so i said this at crafternoon yesterday or two nights ago or whatever it was that we were all together and surprised some people, which is when I was in high school, probably won't surprise you, Renata, because you knew me then. Um, I basically wore a very similar uniform to what the goth kids wore, but not because I was a goth, because I was a nerd. I wore jeans and baggy black t-shirts with either sci-fi shows that I liked or sarcastic sayings on them. And a dark corduroy jacket and combat boots basically every day. I was not a goth kid and was not didn't necessarily want to be a goth kid, but there you go. But I but I feel like now you own like seven petticoats. <laughs> yeah. Well that's what I'm saying. Like and, and now I'm very twee and I own like several petticoats and I wear tool skirts and dresses with little patterns of tiny hearts on them and things like that. So it it is surprising to people to hear that that's what I was like when I was younger. So if I was younger, I would probably go for that just for ease of wardrobe. But as Renata alluded to now, I think I'd definitely go Victorian because it would be a little fancier and I'm into fancy and I do own several petticoats. So yeah. Can I have a follow-up question and ask what, if you remember, what was one of the sarcastic phrases you had on your shirts in oh, high school? Oh, Jesus. Was it I like one of those... It all at Hot it? Topic. Yeah, like, um, fluent and sarcasm. Oh, I, I love those. Just as a guess. I don't remember if I had that or not, but I feel like I've seen that and I would have worn it. I, yeah, I, I When I was a nerdy teenager, the shirt that I had that I thought was so funny was from Hot Topic... And it was printed in camouflage print, and it said, ha, now you can't see me. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> but that's not goth or Victorian. So. No, but it's still somewhere on the vampire spectrum, I think. <laughs> right. Because it's like... It's how they remain undetected by Alex Cross for so long. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yay, 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 yay. Um, I would rather go to a... I'd rather go to a Victorian fetish party too, you know. Like I, I had to read a lot of uh, a lot of kind of Victorian novels um, in college, and I I like that world more than the goth world. But I feel like isn't can't you be goth and Victorian at the same time? Like, yeah, I think then you're steampunk. Which uh, okay, is, which is the fifth fetish. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like, yeah, I think the, the desserts would be better at a Victorian fetish party. Like, the snacks would be... I was going to say that, too. Like, at the Victorian party, you got, like, little cakes, you got, like, little sandwiches. I don't know what goths eat. Like, blood, maybe? <laughs> yeah, blood pudding. <laughs> They'd basically, it'd basically be a Halloween party where you, like... Oh, now I'm mixing up with when you do that thing where you, like, 
feel cold spaghetti and like peeled grapes. Oh yes, that's the goth party. Um, I, I think I would also go to the Victorian party, but I think that my, like, costume would be, like, like an urchin, like a Dickensian urchin would be how I would go. <laughs> and so, like, I don't really want to wear a corset or anything, but I'll, like, make my face dirty, you know, like, <laughs> and, like, my, like, rags. So, like, kind of chimney sweepy, more Yeah, urchin-y. like, that kind of vibe, like, a kind of tiny Tim, but healthier, like, that kind of... That kind of vibe, yeah. Like a Moppet. Yep, yeah, I would be a Moppet. <laughs> <laughs> An adult Moppet. <laughs> a Mop. <laughs> oh, goodness. After you're 18, you're not a Moppet anymore. You're just a Mop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, great. This sounds like a really fun party. And uh, so at that party, would you rather drink blood or eat steaks and cakes? The obvious answer is our wonderful sponsor, Steaks and Cakes, because you would get both steaks and cakes, which are both superior to blood. Right. Well, and as as I mentioned before, I do have a slight quibble with our sponsor, Steaks and Cakes, which is that I am vegetarian, but I would just trade in my steak for extra cake, and I would I would eat two cakes and no blood. Um, yeah, I would definitely <laughs> go for the Steaks and Cakes. And can I ask to to verify? Uh, that's a, a Christian Mingle reference, right? Steaks and cakes, or is that a real place? Great question. It's real in our hearts. <laughs> because my wife and I watched like a it was like a Hallmark movie called it was like a, a movie version of the Christian Mingle experience. Oh my which god! I, oh my god! I'm so glad Christian that you Mingle. have also watched this because yes, <laughs> this was. <laughs> This was a bonus episode that we did recently. So this is late breaking news for Worst Best Sellers listeners that we have dropped our sponsor of Christian Mingle and changed us. Our new sponsor is Steaks and Cakes, the (laughs) restaurant in Christian Mingle, the movie. Wasn't that a bizarre scene? Didn't that scene go on for like 15 minutes? (laughs) It was so long and the set dressing was so strange that at first I thought maybe it was like a church potluck that was like the theme of the potluck was steaks and cakes yeah it was a lot of steak too it was like a platter of steaks and then like a whole cake and they had like 20 whole cakes it was a beautiful cake with like very thick frosting too much cake and too much steak for everybody at that table i'm so glad that was also the most notable scene of that film for you because because it is we, we talked about it for a while it was it was bizarre uh, no yeah that's sort of a yearly tradition for my wife and i is to like we just marathon all the cheesy uh like that one's not necessarily christmas themed but um yeah, we marathon all the like Lifetime Christmas movies and the Hallmark Channel. Have you, have you seen Christmas Shoes? Starring no, Rob Lowe. I have not seen Christmas Shoes, but is that that's the one that um, is that off of the song? <laughs> yeah, based on the book, based on the song, so you oh, know it's boy. good. Wait till they <laughs> make an amusement park ride. Off of <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Shoes, the ride, the movie. Oh, man. Well, I feel like... I know we're not done, but I just want to take this moment to feel like I've 
this steaks and cakes thing really was a long shot, and I'm happy that it was exactly the thing that I thought it was. <laughs> yeah, because so. wouldn't it be awkward if you were like, oh, like Christian making the movie, and we're like, no, those are just our two favorite foods, steaks <laughs> and cakes. What are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> like them? Yeah, we we capitalize them when we <laughs> when we write them down. <laughs> That's how important they are to us. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay, I could talk about steaks and cakes for another seven hours conservatively, but I instead will suggest that we move on to Reader's Advisory, where we recommend other books that you could watch, read, or TV shows or movies you could watch instead of, or in addition to, Violets Are Blue. Uh, As I said earlier, crime shows basically raised me. If you like this sort of thing, you're probably already watching The Laws and the Orders and Criminal Minds. If the idea that these books might be like crime shows is a revelation to you, I would definitely suggest uh, some laws and orders or criminal minds. I would also recommend uh, X-Files because of specifically this one had the like supernatural, are they vampires or are they just a weird cult or whatever that X-Files trucks in. X-Files did have a vampire episode, but they were actually vampires. Spoilers. But... If you're listening, you you probably have already seen X-Files, but I don't know. I don't know your life. <laughs> oh, also, uh, real quick, I do want to say that there were recently released two young adult prequel novels to the X-Files, which is a absurd thing to do in 2017, because today's teens do not care about the X-Files, but I do, and I read both of them, and I'm here to tell you, with with a heavy heart that the Scully one is not good and I wish that it were good, but I did not think that it was, but I thought the Mulder one was all right. And so I'll recommend that to you. Uh, it is agent of chaos by Cami Garcia. And it also has a crime that is like, kind of, is it supernatural? Like, what is it? I don't know. And discuss all these murders. on Fox Mulder. So like, if you're a completionist, go ahead and read the Scully one, but yeah, I mean, actually, I kind of want time. other people to... They're, they're by different authors. They don't really connect at all. It's just like, here's a Mulder one, here's a Scully one. They're bo- it's both of them are 17 in the... Or I think Scully's 15. They're teenagers, so like they did not know each other when they were teenagers. So they're totally separate by different authors. Um, so yeah, if you're very interested... But I, I mean, the Scully one, I really wanted to like... I really thought it was such a drag... Read at your own risk, I guess. I'm not. I'm not giving it my stamp of approval. Well, that means it can only improve. Maybe the second one they'll um, work out the kinks. Yeah, fingers. Yeah, I don't know actually if they're planning to write more, but I guess if these sell well or whatever. No. Maybe. So guys, you need to read the Scully book so it sells well enough to make a second <laughs> one. I guess. <laughs> well then, so if you do want to see something, I, I will. I will recommend a Jillian Anderson property called The Fall. Uh, that's you can catch that on Netflix. But she's a, um, I think she's head of Scotland Yard, right? Have you seen it? Um, and she's she's sort of doing a cat and mouse thing with a, a, a Jamie Dornan who plays a serial killer. Um, oh, from a movie friend of the show, Fifty Shades of Grey. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and the. And Fifty Shades Darker, which will be... But not the third one, because he's done. <laughs> <laughs> he's out. Yeah. I don't think either of them want to be in them. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that he literally did quit the third one. I'm pretty sure they literally had to recast Christian. 
Oh, sweet. But uh, I wonder who it'll be. So yeah, I recommend that. And if you want, uh, what I think is like more enjoyable, like cheesy entry into the Dracula into the vampire world, I'd recommend uh, Dracula Two Thousand, um, which that has Gerard Butler playing the role of uh, of Dracula. And it, it came out during that time of like uh, like Scream, and I know what you did last summer, where where Miramax and Dimension were putting out these like pretty, I think pretty well made like uh, uh, youth oriented like horror movies. So it's steamy. It's set in Louisiana. It's music video e. I think it's all the things that uh, James Patterson wished that this book was. Uh, I'm also going to. Only to a certain flavor of movie watcher, but I will recommend the Nicolas Cage movie Vampire's Kiss, which I recently watched with our uh, friend of the show and vampire Twilight expert Carrie. We watched Vampire's Kiss together, and you may, if you even if you haven't seen this movie, you may have seen a clip from it. It is the movie in which Nicolas Cage angrily shouts the entire alphabet. <laughs> so that's just a taste of what Vampire's Kiss has to offer. And it is sort of similarly, similarly like, is he a vampire? Is he not? What's really going on? But very bad, but very entertaining. And then also uh, the podcast, How Did This Get Made, did an episode about the movie Vampire's Kiss, which is why I watched the movie in the first place. And that I thought was a particularly good episode of that podcast as well, because Vampire's Kiss gave it a lot of like solid gold material. Nice. All right. Um, uh, real quick, just because I know we're going long at this point, um, the Silence of the Lambs books by Thomas Harris. If you haven't heard of them, then congratulations on living under a rock. Uh, the books are pretty good. The Hannibal TV series by Brian Fuller is also good. The movies are of varying degrees of good. Check them out if you haven't. Yeah. Um, uh, we are going long, but real quick, Ryan, did you have any other books you wanted to recommend? Because I know that was like more of your specialty and kate and i don't necessarily read that kind of book that much yeah i mean it's so take this with a grain of salt it's certainly within you know the pop fiction world but really really any jack reacher book by lee child they're i've you know they're they're silly in the same way this book is silly but there's a lot i would say a lot more care in how everything is described like the action sequence is still aren't you know the most exciting things to read just because that's you know it's hard to translate action to the page yeah but i jack reacher i he has i I don't know i think he's an enjoyable person to spend time with so i'd you know i would pick up any jack reacher book really all right did you see the movie uh yeah i saw i haven't seen the second one they don't do a good job of really translating what a jack reacher book is to the screen like Was he's Werner way more Herzog good in it. He is good. He's good in everything, though. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that, I'm just. I didn't see the movie, but I was just tickled that Werner Herzog was in it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, thank you. We will have all of these and more that we didn't get a chance to talk about posted on our website, worstbestsellers.com, for for all your listening and watching and reading pleasure. Find these things. Uh, we will move on now to our candy pairing, where we'll compare this book to a candy, like you do. Uh, my candy pairing for this book is Hershey Kisses. They're generic and non-offensive, but occasionally try to act fancier than they are when you get those like special dark chocolate or almond versions. 
Mine is a, like a huge bag of the mini Hershey's assorted candies where it's like some of these are good, some of them are less good, but there's just so much of it that after a while you're sick of all of them, even the ones that you originally liked. And I, I'm going to say this is a candy. I would say a novelty set of wax fangs because it makes you look like a vampire, but you're not a vampire. And that's basically this book. You think you're seeing vampires, but they're not vampires. Also, I'd say those are sold in the candy aisle. You're totally good here. Oh, cool. Yes. All right. Uh, Now we will move on to the Rock, Paper, Snicked, our favorite game, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Ryan will choose which would most enhance the book or choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Oh, okay. All right. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he'd be an FBI agent working on the case with Alex and Jamila. He would immediately say, uh, you know, bodies drained of blood with lots of bite marks. It's probable we're dealing with a vampire-like killer or cult or something. I would cut out at least a third of the book and probably save at least a handful of victims from being killed and drained while the police dicked around wondering what could possibly be behind the biting of blood draining murders. Good work, Dwayne. All right. Well, if Wolverine would be, were in this book and I do have to preface this with the, um, the fact that in the Marvel universe right now, uh, Wolverine's friend Jubilee is a vampire. If you did not know. She was not always a vampire, but she is now. And so since she's a vampire, she's hip to this whole vampire cult scene. And she would, like, casually mention it to Wolverine when they're hanging out. And they would end up crashing the fetish ball, which just in their X-Men uniforms, because that basically is fetish wear also. So anyway, because they were at the fetish ball and, you know, Wolverine has his super senses and whatnot, they would be able to prevent those murders that happen at the ball and just kind of save a few lives, wrap things up a little bit more quickly, and then um, they would take the tigers to Nora Roberts Wildlife Preserve, which previously <laughs> established Wolverine has ties to. So I, I was concerned about the tigers, and I think that would be good for them. So, <laughs> um, Hearing those options, I... I'm taken by by the snicked option. I, I feel like it would push the book into that's something I've been harping on this whole time. It it pushed the book into actual supernatural territory. And how are you gonna have a book about vampires without actual vampires? So that would be my choice. Although the the rock version would also be very exciting. All right. Well, thank you for playing the rock paper snicked. And now let's move on to what we think the moral of the story was. Uh, mine, I I put don't date Alex Cross, which I do think is a good moral. As I mentioned in the middle of this podcast, I also think always eat soup is a good moral of the story, too. I would say my moral of the story is if there's biting and blood drinking involved, you're probably dealing with something at least tangentially related to vampires. <laughs> probably. Uh, uh, my, more, my takeaway um, and how I'm how I will live my life after this book. The moral code I took away was to hold the ones you love close, uh, but also be vigilant about any longtime uh, work friends you have who might be secret serial killers. Serial killers. And and any of them could be. Yeah, they probably are. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Good morals, everyone. We'll move on now to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his two cents about the book. Yeah, you're right, Duarte. I do think it would be cooler if vampires turned into tigers instead of bats. I don't know why that's not our cult, our common mythology about them. And uh, I, I just think 100% you're right that there should have been way more tigers in this book. <laughs> yeah, I agree that the tigers didn't get nearly enough credit for all the work that they did, and that it was pretty horrible that Alex Cross shot that tiger. I definitely understand why you were mourning that. Yeah, and I, I think it's right for you to point out that there's no way a fang maker could create uh, convincing uh, tiger jaws for a human to wear. So, yeah, good eye, good ear, Duarte. Yeah, Duarte knows fangs for sure. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Duarte. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? I guess in closing thoughts, uh, Ryan, I'll ask you to quickly talk about uh, your book, The Daddy Complex, which you were kind enough to send us a copy to read, which I will admit I have not read because I had pneumonia and it just really, that's my excuse. I had pneumonia and I am not (laughs) as good a multitasker as Alex Cross and I could only have pneumonia and not do anything else. Well, once you read it, you'll see that uh, uh, it, it will cure all diseases without... Oh, cool. Even a human bite? Especially a human bite. (laughs) Great. Um, Yeah, I'm happy to send that to you. And yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, But yeah, it is a a, a humor book that's supposed to be a play on these sort of, uh, uh, you know, thick, best-selling thrillers that that show up in airport stores and grocery store aisles. So I... The the kinds of books that we deal in and worst bestsellers. Exactly. And so, yeah, I... You know, I try to try to hit all the the tropes of of these types of books. For instance, the main character, anytime there's a female present, he has to point out that clearly she was into him when of she's course. giving no indication that that's the case. But it's a short, quick read. It's uh, very silly, and um, you can find it at devastatorpress.com or just do a Google search for my name. And we'll, of course, link to that also from worstbestsellers.com. Oh, thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, it sounds fun. I think if you like or don't like the kinds of books that we have in Worst Bestsellers, either way, you you would probably enjoy this. And uh, also, if you enjoy our podcast, which presumably you do if you've made it this far into it, uh, you should really also like us on Facebook, where we're the Worst Bestsellers, or and or follow us on Twitter where we're the worst bestseller with no S because the S had to go to be in, in Alex Cross's name. Cause he's got two S. <laughs> so you can join our Goodreads group, which is just search, just go to worstbestsellers.com. You'll find it. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, or Google play, however you like to get your podcasts. And if you do subscribe to us in any of those places, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a review. If you don't, we are going to go on a date with you, but not let you get any food. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Finally, we also have a Patreon where you can uh, support us with a small monthly donation. Um, It would be super awesome. And your donations allow us to do things like um, get some new equipment, uh, eventually create some merch with our 
and other things that we are going to have designed. Uh, just all kinds of exciting things that you can read about on our Patreon. And a huge thank you to everyone who has supported us thus far. You're all the best. And you can follow me personally at Renata Snacks. Uh, you can follow Kate at 14 Across. Her audio just dropped out. But you know her. You know Kate. And uh, Ryan, how about you? Oh, I'm on the social medias at uh, Ryan D as in David Sandoval. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. And uh, we will be back soon with our first ever live episode, which will... At the time you're listening to this podcast, it will already have happened, but not yet been released to the internet, so you're all in suspense right now. But uh, that will be for the book The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks, and hopefully we will have seen many of you in the audience at that recording. So, okay, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye! (laughs) Bye! Bye Bye-bye. Like ladies, Google your men and just see how many see how many obituaries they appear in. <laughs> <laughs>